Hello there. I'm History of the Flash, but you could call me JD, and I'm joined by a guest host today. You might know him from Instagram, at Comic Savior. Hi, I'm Caleb. <laughs> He's, he also goes by Caleb, and he'll be filling in for Hunter for this week and possibly next week. I actually haven't asked him yet. going to put him on pressure on oh, live on the air, but... Yeah, I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> Hunter, if you did not listen to last week's episode towards the end, is going to be gone for, I think, the next three weeks. He's traveling in Australia, backpacking around, vacationing it up. I'm quite jealous because I'm sure it's pretty nice in Australia right now, and it's really cold in New York right now, so yes. definitely wouldn't mind the uh, change of climate. <laughs> but uh, for now, Caleb's going to be filling in, and he picked a big week to fill in because we saw Birds of Prey tonight, actually. Yeah, I just pretty much just got out of it, and yeah, it was way shorter than I was thinking it was. Yeah, I, I looked up the runtime before I started, and I was like, oh, an hour 49? It's, like, very rare that you see a movie under two hours in theaters nowadays, but especially for a comic book movie, they're almost always, like, two and a half hours at this point. So I was like, oh, okay, this has got out much earlier than I thought. I mean, not a bad thing, but, you know. Yeah, was, yeah, uh, and it was, quick. you would really be able to notice, like, the way it was paced, because it was just, like, every time you'd be like, wait, was that just 30 minutes that just went by? You're like, oh, yeah, we're in a different act now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was definitely interesting. So uh, the way we do the reviews, if you're new to a hero story, is we do we cover the good, the bad, and the nerdy. The good being what we liked, the bad what we disliked, and the nerdy being any references that we caught. This film isn't really big on Easter eggs. There might be a handful of things here and there, but really it's more of just a straight-up film. No, like, you know, hidden things uh, all around. So, uh but yeah, so we'll, we'll start with uh, what we liked about the film, because there are definitely some things that were nice about this film that were uh, refreshing, in a sense, in comic book films. I mean, unfortunately, comic book films feel like they've gotten more and more formulatic. Form, formulatic? Is that a word? Formulated. <laughs> for, for, yeah, so <laughs> it, it feels like, you know, they follow the certain formula, and that's just it, and it becomes stale after, you know, 20 Marvel movies and 10 DC films and all that. So it's nice to see that broken up a little bit in this movie. I, I feel like the way it was shot, I guess, was different. Yeah, it definitely, the way the camera was moving in a lot of different scenes, I was like, this is, it, it's, it was just, it, it didn't feel the same as like anything I've really seen before. Um, and especially I think the way they did their action it really was like, yeah, this is very not a traditional comic book movie, which I think is good. Like, I think despite whether or not the movie outweighing its problems and its good things, I, I felt like it did at least a very good job of separating itself from everything else and really yeah. kind of shined on itself for for that. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I was thinking when watching this movie, it, it reminded me of Deadpool in some senses. And I'm thinking if Deadpool didn't come out in 2016 then i think this would be like a huge hit because mm -hmm. it, it's definitely like that like where it's when deadpool came out i felt like it was like very out of the norm in the sense yeah. of like that year i think we had bvs civil war and all that that were you know very things Dreary. that we used to at least so uh to go into deadpool was like something totally new and uh i, I think this film Benefits off having Daredevil, um, Daredevil, Deadpool is like a predecessor, but at the same time, it's kind of just, it feels very similar to it. Yeah, so, that, uh, was, that was part of my issue was like, this, the way Harley was acting sometimes, it was just very much like, it, I don't want to say Daredevil, or not Daredevil, yeah, you got me saying it too. Um, I got I got put it in your head. <laughs> not like Deadpool-like, but it was, there were just moments and it was very, like, it brought me out of the movie, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the fourth wall breaking, I'm no Harley comic fan nowadays because mm-hmm. I think she's very become dead DC Deadpool in the sense that like her comics are like pretty much out of continuity and it's really just mm-hmm. messing around. And, you know, I'm, I don't read them regularly, but I've, you know, I've seen panels online and I'm kind of just like that happened. <laughs> like <laughs> it, it feels very wacky for a DC comic. And uh, she has become very much like DC's Deadpool in the sense that. She'll break the fourth wall. She'll, you know, wink at the camera. And, and that happens a lot in this movie, way more than mm-hmm. Suicide Squad. So they really just went like full fourth wall Deadpool type. And it was kind of just unexpected to me. Yeah, when it started out, the, like the way it started with the background narration, I was like, it, it just it. It was weird because it I like I, I liked how it like I said earlier, how it like differed from the norm. But it was just there were times where I was just like, this is just kind of annoying. Yeah. You know, and it really it really like took me out of even like some really good moments in the movie, which was really disappointing. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, You know, they kind of like wink and nod at the camera. I mean, I think it can be nice, but at the same time, it kind of just like it gets old quick. Mm-hmm. So like when it when it was happening in the beginning of the movie, I was like, okay, you know, like the uh, I, I thought like you know so definitely something that I liked in this movie was the opening animation sequence. I thought that was definitely creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was cool, and her narrating that was kind of cool. But then it just kept going with the yeah going from I'm in the movie to I'm narrating to I'm finishing the narrator's sentence or the narrator's finishing my sentence. So it it, it was you know it started out as like okay this is this is nice this is refreshing to the point where I was like okay Harley please stop narrating and you know uh, oh this was a really cool scene I'm really into this and then it's kind of just like oh Harley's looking at the camera. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. I um another thing I really enjoyed was a uh, black mask uh played by Ewan McGregor it was yeah he was like, he was probably the standout character of this movie for me because I, I felt like a lot of these characters didn't feel like them co- their comic counterparts and he mm-hmm. did the most when especially in the scenes of like uh rage like I thought uh, he did really good with the range where he was you know in one scene he's really cool calm cool collect talking with Zaz and then all of a sudden he's losing his mind at somebody in his club and I and I felt like that was very black mask like in the comics yeah and it it did a really good job of kind of developing gotham itself like i really like the the black masks club really put this focus on like the night style of gotham like black mask the gang wars are owned they're not like just shitty little gang wars like the clubs i felt like really added a lot of like extra depth to kind of his character i, yeah. I think like seeing how he interacted within the club um like the there was a scene with a girl and it was just super uncomfortable, but it was really interesting because yeah. then you have like Black Canary working for him, who obviously dislikes it, and Zaz, who's a sadist and is like having a great fucking time. And yeah, it, it, it like it really, I, I think, especially when you're like looking at the movie, it felt like it didn't have that many set pieces. Yeah, like it stayed in a lot of the same area, but I felt like the way the story was flowing, you couldn't really tell. Yeah, I mean, I mean, something that I appreciated about Black Mask in this movie is that. When he usually like when we get like a mob boss in movies, it's more of like we're told about it more than shown. Mm-hmm. And I, that's one of my least favorite thing about movies. Like, you know, we're we're being told about something that happened off screen. Like, why not just show it? Uh, that, that's like one of my biggest problem with the prequels, not to get too far off track, but <laughs> the prequels. Anakin and Obi-Wan are supposed to be like these brothers and best friends. And, you know, in Run of the Sith, yeah, you feel it. But before that. 
no, we're not just told about it, not actually shown. Now, you know, the Clone Wars was able to make up for that, but in in movies in general, a lot of the times we're told uh, told about it, not shown. So this movie did a good job of showing, like, you know, why is Black Mask in the position he's in? Why is he mm-hmm. feared and respected, and you know, just o- overall, just like giving off a vibe to everyone in Gotham City to to the point where everyone knows who he is. Yeah, and I mean, like. I thought his mask looked super cool. And, yeah, and- I was surprised because I thought for the longest time they weren't going to do it. And then we got to see it in the trailer. And then I, I was hoping they'd use it a little bit more in the movie. I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, we're not going to go into spoilers here, but I was hoping something was going to happen to him that this is why I have to wear the mask. I, yeah. I didn't feel like we got that scene. But that being said, it, it looked really good. And it's <laughs> kind of like a wacky mask in the comics. I mean, he's just, you know, like a guy with a black skull on his head. So yeah. it, it doesn't always look great. And I guess it depends on the artist. But, you know, to transition that into live action, I think they did a really good job. I um, I, I think, like, also the costumes for some of the characters started out really not good. <laughs> like, Oh, I definitely agree. Harley's beginning costume is terrible with like the police tape. I thought it was awful. Yeah. And also like Cassandra Kane, her costume, uh, her in general just really wasn't that great, but her costume was just like, eh, I, I don't like, it was very weird because the movie was trying to go for these very like pop and like, um, very like explosive, bubblegum type story you know like the yeah. way they were doing a lot of the things was very colorful very bright and then it was like half the characters were just dressed in like brown mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah i mean i i i like a lot of the way things were shot here but yeah i will agree that the costume department definitely could have used an upgrade because something about the birds of prey is like a lot of their colors do pop uh you mm-hmm. know like or in the comics, Oracle wearing, you know, the the bright green uh, Huntress with the bright purple and, you know, Canary with various shades of blue and black. So, uh, you know, I was hoping to see a little bit more of that. And at least towards the end, like when, you know, you start to see a team formulating more, mm-hmm. I'm like, OK, we're going to get the transition, the typical superhero movie. This is my final costume. And for a lot of it, we didn't really get it. Yeah. And, or, or it just didn't feel like a final costume. Like, I, th- I yeah. think my biggest issue was like. I, I think while it's goofy for Renee Montoya, the question to have like the trench coat and the hat, it would have at least been cool to have maybe like a nod to it or something like that. Like it was just you really couldn't tell like you're kind of forgetting it's the character, you know, because it's obviously older than regular Renee Montoya, which I really yeah. liked. I, I thought she was a really cool character. Yeah, I thought like, that was like like I'm not, never usually a big, you know, I don't like to change from the comics, but I thought that they did a good job of like shifting her in the sense Mm -hmm. of like it made more sense for her character in this movie to be a bit older Mm -hmm. and especially like it's just really weird because i think like you said when you started to see like the team formulating it was like everyone kind of has these towards the end more like bright costumes like there's been uh videos released of like some of the fight scenes towards the end and you can see that there's a lot more it looks a little bit more comic booky and you have like Harley's in a sparkly costume and um you have Black Canaries and like her I think it's a yellow or bluish costume and and they just have like Renee Montoya and like slacks you know yeah 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 agreed uh but speaking of the fight scenes I thought that was some of the best stuff in the movie was the fight scene yeah. I think I mean there were way more fight scenes than I was expecting which is good for a Birds of Prey comic because that's you know a lot of the Birds of Prey especially the early comics is Black Canary kicking ass so mm-hmm. uh to see that in this movie and I mean there's definitely some goofy fight scenes where Harley Quinn's taken out you know 30 men at once but I mean I guess according to Heroes of Crisis she could take down the Trinity but <laughs> you know uh to to see some of the fight scenes in this movie I thought they did a good job of 
not getting all like, one of my one of my biggest complaints about the MCU fight scenes, and I, I felt a lot in I think it was Infinity War. There's like a lot of the fight, maybe Civil War. A lot of the fights seemed like almost like shaky cam, like mm-hmm. like oh they're about to fight. Oh, it's kind of like moving the camera out of out of frame, and it's like. Uh, kind of diverging you away from it and i get you know obviously the actors aren't really beating the crap out of each other but i i think there's a certain way to do fight scenes and i i thought these were some of the best fight scenes we've seen in the dceu since i mean realistically bvs you know aquaman was good i didn't think it had any i mean maybe the big war had some good fight scenes but this was like good hand-to-hand combat that i expect out of like a street-based bat family oriented movie and mm-hmm. it gives me hope that you know we're going to see some of that in the Batman. And I think I'm not positive on this, but I think the like fight coordinator for this one was the guy who did the John Wick films. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I I think that was definitely, I haven't even seen the John Wick films, but I've seen tons of clips from them. And uh, you could tell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It it was like, it was like really good in the sense, you know, I was really feeling like the street level fighting was going down. Mm -hmm. And I think like it did a really, really good job of like establishing how, dangerous some of the characters are like the first fight scene with black canary you're watching and you're just like oh my god like, yeah she, she is fucking amazing she's like kicking their asses and yeah. it's very I, I think same with harley like I, I think in the third act the there's a like the carnival set piece that was released um that fight scene in general is just really really good yeah, it does, yeah like, the it, camera it, does a really good job of following the characters and yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think sometimes in team-based fights, it's easy to just get distracted with what one character is doing. But, you know, the camera work was really good in this. Of We're getting, like, a whole team-based fight. And, you know, sometimes you're focusing on just one character in a one-on-one. Mm-hmm. But I'm seeing, you know, while I'm getting a close-up of Black Canary fighting someone, I could see Harley in the background, you know, hitting people with the, with the hammer. And, you know, I see uh, Renee Montoya, you know, brawling with someone in the background. So... You know, it, it didn't feel like anybody was, you know, really, like, useless in those mm-hmm. team fight scenes. So I, I think they definitely did a good job with the fight scenes, and that was definitely one of the standout moments for me. Um, and as I, for characters, other than Black Mask, of course, um, I thought Renee Montoya was probably my favorite out of the heroes. I oh, mean, really? Yeah. Well, because I just felt like the rest of the heroes felt so far from their comic book counterparts mm-hmm. that... It was tough for me to, you know, imagine them as as that person. So like, Canary had a lot of cool fight scenes, but at the end of the day, I just didn't feel like it was Black Canary. It just felt like, mm-hmm. you know, a street brawler. And yeah, and you know, Renee Montoya. It felt like Renee Montoya. A lot of things that she went through with the GCPD and went through with, mm-hmm. you know, her just whole life and career and how that mixes and how that leads to where she is. You know, I, I thought they did a good job of like making that pretty close to the comic counterpart, even though they made her older, obviously I think it worked as, as opposed to, you know, somebody like, I, I thought, you know, Cassandra Kane was just absolutely butchered. Yeah, it was, it didn't, it was really weird because it was like, I, I, I liked, there were a, a couple scenes where I think having like the young Cassandra Kane worked as like a plot point really well, like where I think it was a really cool team moment where they're like passing her around, fighting off people, trying to protect her. Um, and it did a really, really good job of like kind of establishing how these characters have changed. But like, I it was just so weird because a lot of the dialogue just really just kind of made me groan, you know. And I felt like the way with a lot of the script of like, I think the worst thing by far was like the Harley egg sandwich bit. Mm -hmm. Like, I just it was just going on, and I was like, this isn't funny. 
And it felt like that every time Cassandra Kane kind of spoke. It was just like, yeah, I, I don't see what I'm supposed to be getting here from this, you know? Yeah, and and to me, it was like, if you're going to have the character like that, why call her Cassandra Kane? Because Cassandra Kane, like, you know, there are some characters that you could kind of shift around a little mm-hmm. bit to your plot. Cassandra Kane is one of those characters that it is essential to her character to be the quiet one, the fighting one. Mm-hmm. So to have her as like kind of like a sugar-obsessed teen who's a pickpocket and, you know, is getting into all kinds of trouble, it just felt, you know, not like Cassandra Kane. Like, she was Cassandra Kane in name only. So, no, I think it was legitimately that she was in name only because we didn't even get any nods to like we got Lady Shiva or anything. Yeah, and it was it was like there couldn't have even been a nod to like David Kane or like literally anything saying that like well maybe there's a reason why she's orphaned and it was just it was very yeah. and I, and I kept waiting for that throughout the movie of like mm-hmm. you know she's holding back but at one point she's gonna start fighting like there's there's one point I think it was. In the GCPD, she, like, clears her throat. And I'm like, oh, my God, is she about to, like, not be able to talk anymore? Like, this is, this is yeah. all right, I'm waiting for this. And then she just, like, starts talking right after that. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think I, in terms of characters, I really, really liked, like, Huntress, I think, was also one of the characters that was really, really different. But I kind of liked it sometimes. Um, you know, I'm not that big into Huntress in the comics. So I guess that's why, mm-hmm. like, I didn't really notice that one as much. But, yeah, I, I thought she served the role pretty well of, like, who she was supposed to be. Um, I mean, it would have been pretty cool to see like a purple and white hood a little bit more to disguise yeah. herself because like when she took down her hood, they were just like, oh, you're you know, Helena Bernelli. So it's kind of just like, oh, okay. Well, but, you know, It was funny because she had the little stuff around her eyes too, but that yeah. did literally nothing. It yeah, was yeah like... exactly. Like, it was still just her. Like you would think they would do like, so, like it would have been a cool nod to do a little purple mask or, you know, a little yeah. white and purple hood would have been cool. And I think it would have helped uh, the overall colors of this movie, you know, pop. And I, but I feel like what it kind of, because I felt like the writing was where the movie lacked the hardest. Yeah. Um, and I felt like where it lacked with the writing in terms of character building, the action really made up for it. Like yeah. I felt like each character really had their own distinctive like style. You know. Um, yeah. Renee Montoya was like pretty much a boxer, just beating the shit out of people. Huntress is moving around and using her crossbow. Black Canary is like jumping around and harley quinn is just doing flips and jumping on trampolines and shit you know yeah and it was like it really added to each of the character each of the characters as opposed to like again the stupid like egg sandwich joke that was going on that was supposed to be like funny yeah yeah Yeah, i mean i mean definitely in like my uh you know uh the good the bad the bad category you know i i just felt like a lot of the bits for, you know, a short runtime, an hour and 49, you know, you're thinking they're going to get right to the plot. A lot of the bits went on just too long. So, like, uh, at one point, Black Canary sings a song. And, I mean, it must have went on. Like, I mean, I don't know what the actual time was. It felt like a solid 10 minutes of the movie. Like, I was like, oh, my God, she's still, <laughs> she is still going. Like, it didn't really feel like much else was happening in those scenes other than Black Canary singing. So, I mm-hmm. felt like they really could have, like, shortened some of those bits. And, yeah, like you said, like, the egg sandwich bit went on a lot longer than it should have and you know i I think some of the chase down scenes uh uh, the one at the end i thought was completely wacky but you know a lot of the chase down scenes also felt like breaking out of the movie like i was you know invested in the scene i was all serious and then i'm like okay now i'm watching you know something that should not be happening happening right Mm -hmm. now you know especially at the end so um you know i I thought that they could have done a little bit better with like their I don't know if it's that comes down to editing or just like 
time management of the movie, but yeah. I, I just felt like it could have been done a little better in certain scenes. Yeah, no, the pacing was really, really weird. And and I think part of it was also the way that they laid out their scenes. Like, you, we'd be watching the movie and then it'd be like, okay, now a week ago. And then it was like, now here's a yeah. flashback. And it was like, or, or here is, it, and it was super over the top with certain things too. Like Helena Bertinelli's backstory was split into like two separate parts. But then it was just like the way, the way they structured the movie, I, I felt like was interesting, but it served no purpose. You know? Yeah, yeah, because you know, uh, I, I was watching. Um, I forget what I was watching. Some, something recently that was talking about doing like, you know, a linear plot where you're just going from beginning to end and that's it. Or do you do like, you know, you give them a little bit of the plot, you flash back, and then you keep going with the plot because the flashback adds to the plot. It felt like at a point where we're getting so many flashbacks now that I'm getting distracted where we even are in the main mm-hmm. plot. And you know, I mean, the, probably the Harley voiceover narration isn't helping. But yeah. you know, uh, jumping back and forth, and like, yeah, like you said, like the Helena scenes, flashback scenes were cut into two. They really could have just been one whole one. Mm-hmm. You know, I I didn't need all that. You know, jump back, jump back, jump back, and you know, it it broke up the flow of that scene where when she first comes in, I'm like, oh, okay, this is gonna be good, it's gonna be badass, and then it's just like, oh, why don't we go back about a few years? Yeah, or so. yeah. That was, that was, it was really the way that the birds met and like their willingness to just work together. I didn't really buy like, Oh, it was extremely forced. Like it was, was, I mean, I I get why they work together, but Mm -hmm. it was kind of just like that. That's it. Like Renee Montoya, you have like, you know, this loyalty to the law and you know, even though you're going through a hard time as a uh, detective, you still have a loyalty to the law, but it's like, "Ah, I'll, I'll just work with Harley Quinn. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I think, um, in terms, I mean, I'm not. Oh, never mind. I think it's kind of a spoiler for the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's the thing. Like, it, it's tough to talk about this movie without getting into like full spoilers. Like, yeah. Like another thing I'd have in my bad category is kind of like the ending for some characters. I thought was done very quickly and mm-hmm. I, I, surprising in the sense of like you know I really didn't see that coming, but also surprising in the sense like why would you do that? Like, you know. Mm-hmm. You're, you're especially with comic book films is a lot of these characters don't just tie into one film. They could really tie into multiple. So, you know, a lot of these birds of prey characters are vital to the Batman. Yeah. So to, to just, you know, dispose of them at times is just like, okay, that was not yeah. expected. <laughs> and, and a little like, you're just like, they wouldn't do that. And not even like a, oh my god, they're not going to do that, like a suspenseful thing. It was just like, no, 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 like it'd probably be better if you didn't actually do that. And then they did that, and you're just like, yeah. Oh? Like, I, yeah. I, it was like, I I guess I see, like, why you wanted to do what you did, but it, it just felt very, like you said, forced. And yeah. I, I Like, I ended the movie, and I was just like, those were, like, kind of characters I would have liked to have seen more of. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I thought it was like... Like, it was going to be, like, a gotcha, because I'm like, okay, you know, they're disposed of, but they're going to be coming back. And then I'm like, oh, no, wait, no, they're not. <laughs> like, okay, this is, that actually happened. Okay, that's, that's, that's definitely an interesting take. Not the way I would have went with it, but okay. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's kind of just weird to me that, and I, I guess, you know, there's already a lack of continuity in DC, so it didn't really matter, I guess, but... It just seemed a little weird to me how some characters' endings were in this movie. And, I mean, I think I, I think my least favorite ending, and I'm going to try to go into this as non-spoilery as possible, is the ending in the car. Because I just, like, why are those two characters together? That makes 
absolutely yeah. no sense to me. Yeah. Because now you just ruined any future that character has. Mm-hmm. Like, the movie to me ultimately feels like it sets up a Birds of Prey 2. Yeah. I, I, I guess it depends on how this one does financially, but I, I think that it, it just... It didn't feel like the Birds of Prey in the end. Like, I know, you know, they get their name, the Birds of Prey, and, you know, everything's hunky-dory, everyone's got a suit, and we're working together. But it was kind of just like, okay, I I, I don't feel the need at this point for a Birds of Prey 2, you know? I think the only, like, type of Birds of Prey 2 I would want would be, like, the Birds of Prey versus the Gotham City Sirens, you know? Yeah, yeah, I, I would be okay with that. And actually, I think that would probably be the best move to go, because the ending of the movie does potentially set that up. And mm-hmm. Margot said that she chose Birds of Prey over Gotham City Sirens because she wanted to, you know, make some exposure for less known characters. Mm-hmm. So now that they, they're going to have exposure from this movie, if you bring in Poison Ivy and if you're going to keep Catwoman as Zoe Kravitz, then, you know, then you could potentially have a whole movie set up right there that will have whatever fan, fan base you had from Birds of Prey and bring in whatever new fan base Gotham City Sirens will bring in. So... I could potentially see that happening. But if they just do like a straight Birds of Prey 2 and uh, potentially without Harley Quinn, you know, I, I don't see that movie A, doing well and B, even happening. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like I, I think I kind of even like I, I thought the movie was good. Not anything I, like I think what it was going for versus what like Joker was going for were two very different things, you know. Uh-huh. And so yeah. I felt like it kind of went for what it was going for. And I kind of hope more people are going to go out and see it because I think allowing DC to have different movies that just kind of do what they want works way better than, in my opinion, like the Snyder movies, you know, like yeah. I think I think having Aquaman be this like mythic adventure versus Shazam being a family movie, Joker being some like dark, gritty, indie type style movie and uh birds of prey just being this over the top zany one and i feel like but i felt like all of it is just adds kind of this richness to the world you know yeah well so what's kind of interesting about that is that when when the snyder movies were coming out and especially bvs it felt like you know whatever story obviously zach had a different story that we found out through countless snyder Mm -hmm. cut posts on twitter but you know we 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 found out that he obviously had like a crazy journey to take us on and it might have been bad it might have been good who knows i mean it sounded pretty crazy of like basically killing off the trinity within the first few movies but you know um it would have at least been different but then when bvs was coming down to it it felt like they were changing so much to be like, all right, we're, we got to play catch up with the MCU. And I, mm-hmm. my attitude has always been, no, you shouldn't play catch up with the MCU. You should try to be different than the MCU because I just don't think you're going to be able to capture that lightning in a bottle. I think that's really a once in a lifetime franchise to really yeah. you know, be able to pump out. What are they at? Like 22 movies now that are still making, you know, a billion dollars and still have people so hyped. So I, mm-hmm. I think you have to definitely do something different. And though I didn't particularly enjoy Birds of Prey, I think that's I hate to use the words right direction because that's every journalist. No, but, that's, that's what I was but I, I think it is a step <laughs> in the right direction of trying something different to differentiate yourself from Marvel. And Joker did the same thing, whether you liked it or not. You know, it, it, it wasn't. Mm-hmm in that formula and it wasn't like confined to a universe. So I I think more movies like that could be good. And I think, you know, there's definitely a lot of potential to do that between the, the suicide squad, the Batman, uh, black Adam, uh, yeah. Wonder woman 84. Like these are going to be movies that are, 
not like the MCU and not trying to be like the MCU. And you got to get away from that attitude of we're playing catch up with the MCU. You're never going to catch up to the MCU. So mm-hmm. do something different that will attract a different kind of fan base. Yeah. And that's what I mean. I think especially like Wonder Woman uh, 84, I think is going to kill it. Like I think kind of the issue with a lot of, if you look at a lot of big budget superhero movies, the first one in a sense is always kind of the, good one in a franchise because you have to deal with the backstory which is kind of like the worst part of every superhero movie uh-huh. um but then you look at the second ones and you can the backstory is behind you and you can just focus on a story and i mean you look at like captain america the winter soldier you look at spider-man 2 you look at yeah. um the dark knight like all of them were able once they're firmly established to build these really cool stories and that's what i'm really hoping um things like wonder woman 84 can do because I feel like, again, like the Wonder Woman movies had some things that were really annoying. And I felt like a lot of it was kind of the Themyscira stuff. And yeah. hopefully if it can do its own type of thing, like Birds of Prey and like Joker, I think it can really set it apart in like the best way possible. Yeah. Yeah. So like for Wonder Woman, I've, I've never really been in the boat that like Wonder Woman is this, you know, IGN 10 out of 10 masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like I, I enjoy it, but... It's not something where I'm like, oh, this is one of the best superhero movies ever. I, yeah. I think, it's, you know, it, it serves its purpose. I think it's, you know, decent, but I don't think it's, you know, all that great. So with WW84, although I'm not particularly hyped for it, you know, seeing it, the trailer again today, I'm like, you know what? Maybe it could be good. I think it's got potential. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think the story is willing to go in a new direction of, you know, we've never really had that superhero movie set in the 80s. And, you know, we had uh, Captain Marvel, which was set in the 90s and definitely did a little bit to get into that 90s tone. But this one really feels like they're going yeah. full 80s. Like, you know, just from the vibe of the trailer, I'm like, you know, this is literally 1984. So, you know, and and, I really... and another thing of like not being confined to your universe, which, you know, I I'm, I do love continuity. Shout out to, com- to comic. Uh, oh, what's Poppy. Tyler's handle? Uh, comic Poppy. Continuity <laughs> King. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I when Wonder Woman said in the BVS, you know, I walked away from man for 100 years. Oh, like, oh God, well, it's actually horrible. I didn't. I popped up in 1984 for a little bit. So it, it'll be interesting to see where they go with that movie. And I think it could be something fresh, even if it's something that I'm not, you know, particularly keen on right now. It's definitely going to be different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it also I, I think I'm. I, I like how, especially watching just the trailer when I was watching again before Birds of Prey was it was like it was just going for such a cheesy type feel, but it wasn't like yeah. shying away from it. Like the um, having Pedro Pascal uh, like yelling about how the future can be great and like Steve Trevor just randomly appearing and it's like, OK, yeah, he's going to appear and we're just going to say it's going to be X, Y, Z. And then we're just like, fuck it, we're going to go for it and see what happens. And I like yeah that like i i'm kind of i think in a sense what i'm kind of over with a lot of superhero movies are trying to be like grounded and explain everything and i like that we're starting to get a shift towards just like out of the blue stuff with you know comic book science that just doesn't add up but it's just kind of like oh cool this will be a good story to tell yeah i mean i I definitely think it's more of a risk but at the same time you know the higher the risk the higher the reward Mm -hmm. on some of these things so you know like joker i think Looking back, it's definitely a risk. I mean, I remember when Joker was first announced, I was like, this sounds like a terrible idea. Why would they ever do that? And then I ended up enjoying it and it made a billion dollars. So, you know, I guess it ended up being a good call. But obviously that was a high risk. And, you know, it was it was going to get turned down by Warner Brothers at several several different corners. But it somehow Mm -hmm. was able to make it through. I mean, the process the movie went through was crazy. So, you know, rolling your dice with something like Birds of Prey, which I think. 
regardless of you know everything, I think it's going to make money. I think you know I don't think it'll break a billion, but I think it'll be somewhere in the Suicide Squad range, maybe a little bit mm-hmm. higher, seven hundred mil area. I, I think you know between the ninety two percent on Rotten Tomatoes and Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn, and you know you're getting a new fan base. I think of, I, I think more girls are going to see this movie personally. I, I think mm-hmm. you know some of that exposure like that is going to be good and going to get new people into the theaters for your movie. So I, I think this movie is going to do well enough that DC is going to keep taking risks and risks. And, you know, there's still going to be the safer ones, Aquaman, Shazam 2 and stuff. But I think we could see more stuff like New Gods and, you know, stuff that probably would never get made in a Marvel type universe. But now is going to happen. Yeah, that's why I'm so excited for New Gods. I just I, I like I'm, I'm hoping DC like the way they fleshed out Atlantis and Aquaman really like the surface world's established and now Atlantis is this crazy area and then they fleshed out the mascara and there's so many different worlds in like the DC universe right now that like they're all just so different as opposed to like again the MCU where it feels like every set piece is just kind of like an airport with like a gray filter slapped on it you know yeah an airport in New York City and uh, that's it yeah 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 so uh I mean just to you know return to Birds of Prey I, I think it's like I said, I don't I don't like to use the words, but right direction. I think it is a right direction. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely prefer a little bit more comic accuracy in the future because one of my biggest problems with this movie is just like I really like the Birds of Prey. So I saw this with my roommates and they have not read comics. So, you know, they uh, they really enjoyed this film and they thought it was cool. And I'm like, oh, it hurts me, you know, having read <laughs> you know Dixon's Birds of Prey and Simone's Birds of Prey of, you know, I expect this out of Birds of Prey. And this just did not feel like Birds of Prey. Like it, it's almost like birds of prey in name only you know especially to leave out someone like barbara gordon and i get mm-hmm. why she was left out but it's still you know it still stings so yeah yeah i mean i felt I, I think overall like you said it was a step in the right direction um my only concern now is that the person who wrote birds of prey is going to be writing the flash and oh, like <laughs> yeah 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 and that's kind of like everything i liked about birds of play prey didn't really have to do with the script you know, yeah, it's like yeah, everything not, that won't work in a Flash movie. I mean, I trust uh, Andy Machete, I believe his name is. Mm-hmm. I, I trust him enough to, you know, make his way through a Flash movie. But I don't know. I mean, I'm hearing rumors that Flashpoint Batman wouldn't even be in it, which is like a little like. <laughs> yeah, I was happy. I don't know if you saw that leak that was out about Flashpoint is fake or not fake, but like an, a super old leak about like the older Flash movie. Because oh, I really okay. hope that we're not going to be having us like. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, as for Birds of Prey, um, in, in the nerdy section, there's, like I said before, there's not too many Easter eggs. There's like a scene in Harley's apartment where uh, it's like the old Italian clown that Cesar Romero uh, does in the Batman 66 show and uh, that Heath Ledger kind of does in The Dark Knight. Um, there's little like references here and there. Like, uh, I don't think. Black Canary's ever called Pretty Bird, but she's called Little Bird. That's why actually a Green Arrow postcard scene actually could have made sense. <laughs> yeah, but uh, there's uh, also um, the I don't know if you saw the Captain Boomerang. Yeah, the poster. Captain Boomerang on the wall. Uh, it, uh, Harley Quinn like runs through the GCPD and she's like, "Hey, I know that guy." So mm-hmm. that, was, that was like a little Easter egg, like Suicide Squad. I was like, "Okay, it makes sense." You either had to pick him or uh, who else is returning for that one? Is that no one else? Is it just? Uh, those two from Rick Flag, oh, Rick Flag but yeah, he but made the really... Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was actually kind of hoping they they have a scene with a bunch of mercenaries, but it's kind of just like a bunch of guys in leather jackets. I was almost hoping like 
they'd make a little reference to Deadshot, like, oh, why don't you call mm-hmm. Deadshot? And it's like, oh, no, he's off the radar ever since him and his daughter are, you know, back. Like, a little something like that just to tie up. Because obviously they're not going to go any further with Deadshot. Mm-hmm. So that would have been, like, a nice little piece right there. But, uh, yeah, the, it, it, this movie feels fairly self-contained. I mean, you got, like, places like, you know, Ace Chemicals and, and Black Masks Club. But other than that, it's pretty much just, you know, routine Gotham City. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I felt like he did a very good job. I mean, it's it's very weird that we have such a fleshed out Gotham City for that, like, just feels kind of empty of Batman. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly, exactly. There's no presence of Batman remotely. Yeah, it, 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 that's like kind of my only complaint about it. But I mean, other than that, like, I really I'm liking the Gotham City that the DCEU is kind of building. Yeah. And I think if, you know, they're going to use that Gotham City template for uh matt's batman film this could be really cool mm-hmm. yeah what yeah, would so, you uh, rate this movie yeah well that's what i was just about to ask you so uh <laughs> it's always tough to put a number on the movie for me but yeah same <laughs> I, I feel like it's more for me at least towards the bottom of the pack of the dceu mm-hmm. i i'm somebody who you know enjoys bvs and man of steel i know that seems like a rarity nowadays but <laughs> um I, I think it's definitely better than suicide squad and definitely better than justice league I'm probably in the area of like six out of ten. Yeah, I think I'm a I'm a, I'm at seven out of ten. I think yeah. it's like I I liked it. I I think like I I mean I really liked it, but like its flaws were there, and, and it really kind of sucks because they're very noticeable. Yeah, I mean something I like to look at, especially with comic book films, is two questions: Did I enjoy it? Like, did I feel like you know I wasted my money going to see this, or did I enjoy it? So I did enjoy it. You know, I didn't feel like I wasted my money. I was never really bored i mean there were some scenes that went on too long but i was never exactly bored and then the other question is does it have rewatch value i don't know that i see myself rewatching this anytime soon but yeah <laughs> i i think it was at least entertaining enough to get me through it so yeah i mean the only time i can really see myself rewatching this is if like i have a bunch of friends who might want to go see it but i kind of agree like i'm not in that much of a hurry to go back and like rewatch and reanalyze it because it was just kind of open and shut yeah, yeah, pretty much. So uh, that's Birds of Prey and the uh, Fabulous Anticipation, whatever the hell of Harley <laughs> Quinn. Um, if you want to see it, I, you know, I even if you're skeptical about it, I, I say see it. I, mm-hmm. you know, you go, you can go based off critic stuff, but the, at the end of the day, you got to make your own opinion about something. So that that's our takes on it, and you might feel differently in either direction. But you know, if, if you're a Birds of Prey comic fan, you know, it might not be the best for you. I, it was definitely tough for me, but if you can put all that aside, then yeah, you might enjoy this film. Yeah, I think it's a pretty solid movie and a pretty, like, good escape from everything else. Yeah. So, all right, so that's that's Birds of Prey. Now uh, we're going to go on uh, to the news of the week, and then uh, we'll go to the comics of the week. Uh, so for the news of the week, usually Hunter runs this section, so bear with me. But uh, <laughs> So DC announced Generation Zero. Uh, if you didn't see my Instagram post about it or tons of other comic book accounts uh, post about it, it's pretty much everywhere. Uh, all of a sudden, they dropped a Francis Manupal cover of Wally West in the blue Dr. Manhattan-type suit with a bunch of different characters all around him, uh, so, including, like, New 52 versions. Uh, you see the Batman Who Laughs. You, you, a ton of characters, Teen Titans behind him and stuff. And he has a bunch of Earths coming from his head and from his chest. And, uh, yeah, it's called Generation Zero. So 
Uh, the solicitation reads, quote, the march towards DC's future begins with Generation Zero. This 32-page issue featuring a stunning cover by Francis Manupel and features key, a key, uh, sorry, features key stories involving Wally West, the Fast Man Alive, and Wonder Woman, Warrior Princess from the Island of Themyscira. New and, lo- and long-time fans can't afford to miss Generation Zero. This book lays the foundation for even more seismic-level changes in the DC universe. And then it talks a little bit about Wally uh, saving his children and says that he'll have to make the ultimate sacrifice, taking his place in the Mobius chair, which unbeknownst to him is getting a little bit of extra power and has been infused with the godlike powers of Dr. Manhattan. Now armed with infinite knowledge and the powers of a god, Wally West can see the past, present, and futures of the DC universe all at once. That's a lot. And (laughs) it's coming on free comic book day, so... That's a smart move by DC, I think, to get it out to as many people as they want because the biggest comic book day of the year is free comic book day. I mean, I went to my shop for the first time. I went to the first free comic book day uh, at my shop, which is a pretty big shop. And I mean, it was absolutely swarmed lines down the block, which I was I'd never seen before. It was crazy how many people were in the shop. So this is a great day to put it out. Uh, This is huge and hugely unexpected. Yeah, I was very shocked when it dropped. Like, they didn't even wait for... It's really weird because free comic book day is not for another three months. Yeah, it's in May, the first Saturday in May. And so it's like, the fact that it dropped, even before Flash Forward was over, was very, like, it was like, oh, okay, well, now there's no real point for Flash Forward. Like, it, it, I, it's just, it's very frustrating because it's like, we ended with Doomsday Clock, and that was supposed to change everything, and it didn't. And then we ended with Justice League, and that was supposed to change everything, and now it didn't. And now we're having Generation Zero, and that's supposed to change everything. And it probably will, but it's like, how many times are we going to like put something that's supposed to change everything in the DCEU over and over and over until it gets super stale, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I, I think... I, I worry that DC is getting into the rut of we need a new reboot every one to two years. And that's, I mean, kind of been the Marvel way for the last, you know, mm-hmm. 10 years or so. And it's, you know, a little nerve wracking for somebody who collects comics regularly. And it's like, okay, <laughs> another new number one, another new number one, you know? So um, I, I think this has potential to be cool. I mean, so while he's obviously my favorite character, I know he's a pretty high ranking character and your favorites as well. So it, it's definitely a big change. I mean, you know, he went from not being in any books to in the matter of, you know, what, the last two years now at war with his uncle, which caused big things for the Speed Force to actually break and add in new forces to becoming the killer in Heroes in Crisis, which was, a, you know, the biggest event at DC going at the time. Mm-hmm. And then now getting the powers of Dr. Manhattan from the Mobius chair from Flash Forward, which, I mean, I don't think any of us expected Flash Forward to be doing all this. So, you know... It's really a lot of big change for the character in the last two years, and I'm fairly open-minded to it in the sense that it's better than nothing. You know, I I, I think more Wally is better Wally. I mean, I'm nervous that, you know, it's not going to go exactly the way I'm hoping it will go, but <laughs> I'm open to interesting stories. Yeah, and it it's just very weird because, like, I've been going back and rereading Mark Wade's Flash Run. And so you read it and you read like that Wally and you're just like later on, this is the like this is the same Wally that killed everybody at Sanctuary. That's now going to be hopping on the Mobius chair. That's now going to be doing all these different things. And it's like I like you said, I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. But I'm also just kind of like I, I 
I don't know. It, it, it's really weird because it's such a stark change for the character, and I don't think it's what the character needs. I think especially after Heroes in Crisis, like, if, if Flash Forward is going to end the way that it seems it will end for Generation Zero, it, it doesn't seem like they're really addressing Heroes in Crisis. Yeah. You know? Like, it seems like it's just going to kind of be like, oh my god, look, he's a cool god now. And, like, I, I think that's kind of why I'm bummed that I think Scott Lobdell is doing Generation Zero, right? He's the writer. Uh, I don't know that he's going to be writing the actual event. I think that's probably going to be a Scott Snyder event, but I think he's doing the free comic book day issue. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And was that, that's the flash war epilogue, right? Yeah. With the the flash forward epilogue. Yeah. So flash forward six, I mean, assumedly will end with whatever's going to happen with Wally's family and he's going to be getting on the Mobius chair, I guess, and getting the blue suit. There were leaks like two weeks ago on Reddit that showed him in the blue (laughs) suit. And we were all just like, what? Why does he have the Manhattan logo on his head? And I was getting sent stuff by followers that I was like, okay, this is a lot. But I'm like, okay, you know, I mostly just kept it to myself. And I'm like, all right, maybe it won't happen. And then all of a sudden now this is all coming out. So Dr. Wally Hatton seems to be on its way in a sense. I'm, I'm just really surprised that they're doing this because the biggest thing about Watchmen characters and Dr. Manhattan is they're so much better in doses. Mm-hmm. And so I think- you can't overexpose that. And, I, you know, I thought Doomsday Clock was a big risk. I think it mostly paid off in the sense of, like, it ended up being a good story. You know, I, I think I, – I never read it, but I've from a lot of what I read uh, before Watchmen, a lot of people don't like it because they feel like it's just overusing the Watchmen characters. Mm-hmm. So th- that's my worry here that, you know – the powers of Dr. Manhattan are so godlike and so unbeatable because they're not shown that often. So to give that to one character now just seems very risky. Yeah, and I think it it's just it's so weird because I I feel like it, it even now I think everything that happened with Alan Moore is much more prevalent now because of Doomsday Clock and before Watchmen. Yeah. And it really like pinned this thing on DC that was like you're taking advantage of a creator's creation and essentially just milking it for all it's worth and then you're going to throw it away. Yeah. And it's like and I feel like at least with Doomsday Clock I mean I'm I didn't think it was necessary for it to be a Watchmen story, but I I think for it to end it could have they could have done like its own thing. I think like the HBO show did that where they're canceling, they're ending it, not canceling, they're ending it after one season so it can be standing on its own. And it's like, really, do we really have to see the like aftermath with Wally West become Dr. Manhattan? Cause at first when like everyone was saying Dr. Manhattan, I was thinking it was going to be like, Oh yeah, it's like semi Dr. Manhattan, but it is like full on Dr. Manhattan with like yeah. the, the symbol and everything. Yeah, it's, it's it's very surprising to say the least. I mean, I just I I think there's a lot of I think there's more ways that this could go wrong than it could actually work. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I'm you know obviously hoping for the best. I mean, this is my favorite character, and you know, I don't want to see it absolutely butchered. But yeah, I, I think the best Wally stories to me aren't the ones that are you know the big crazy cosmic you know type stories. I think they're the ones that it's just being the Flash, and you know. Like, like one of the best things about Wally is he just loves being the Flash and he loves being the hero of Keystone, right? That's, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of what makes up Wade's run. And yeah, you get some big arcs like Terminal Velocity and Chain Lightning that involve a lot of Speed Force stuff. But not nothing to the big level of, like, I have the powers of an actual god. So I just think there's a lot of ways that, you know, it's, it's definitely unexplored territory for the character. And it could be great for him. I just think it's definitely a risky move. And I, and I hope it pays off, but it, it's definitely risky. Yeah, and, like, I think especially... It's so weird because, like, you look at, like, Bendis' argument for 
revealing Superman's identity of being like, here are all these stories that are like open to the character now. But it's like, at least with like, that was an internal change in Superman. And it was like, in a sense, you can kind of understand where the character was going. But like the, this is just such a left field out of yeah. like, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. it's not like, like Heroes in Crisis built up that Wally's not in control of himself. Mm-hmm. And then flash forward is like, actually, he is in control. He's the fastest man in the multiverse. Now he's traveling around from world to world and yeah. taking care of other world's problems. So it's just like, okay, we got two different spectrums of Wally here. Now he's going to have the powers of a god. Is it right for the power for the person who can't control his powers to have the powers of a god? And I think I, I think it like like I, I don't I don't I personally can't picture what a Wally West ongoing series would look like now. You know, like I like I don't if, if I mean, it, I think it's nearly impossible to do it now. I think now it's either event or bust. Yeah. So Got to be in Generation Zero. He either loses the power or I mean, I don't know. I just I don't see a way in which you could have Manhattan Wally roaming around the streets of keystone because there's no point of him roaming around the streets of keystone he serves such a big a bigger purpose mm-hmm. and it's also really frustrating because it's like we're not going to get the wally bart interaction or if we do it's going to be such a major shift from everything else for the character i mean you know? it, it, it's crazy I, I always wonder what happens internally because like clearly williamson's run got derailed by year yeah. villain you know he was saying that the godspeed boss paradox arc was going to be happening throughout 2019 that ended up sliding because year of the villain took up most of his 2019 and they wanted to line up paradox with number 750 but you know in annual number two which was i think beginning of 2019 yeah he Bart was like saying like he just really wants to see Wally again, talked about how he needed a new suit. And it seemed like, you know, a Wally Bart thing was going to happen soon. And, you know, we're going to get some more pre-52 stuff. And then it just never happened. It never formulated. So I wonder if things were pitched behind the scenes that never made it out to the light of day. I mean, I'm sure a lot of that happens. I'm just curious, you know, where did it change up? And are we ever going to see that now? Because you're right. If we do get like a dr wally hatton going on and bart's in the background of that comic i just don't see anything happening between mm-hmm. the two of them and especially if scott it, snyder's writing it i'm not expecting this big emotional uh you know <laughs> interaction yeah, yeah. And, and it's like it's just it's so weird because i i i just i don't know it, it, it's really frustrating looking at what is happening with like the character because he's it's just such a weird pinball of like who pitched this behind the scenes you know, who, like, yeah. after reading Heroes in Crisis and saw where the character ended. Because it seems like it seemed like it was a story. Like It seemed like Flash Forward is a very, like, industry story where they just slapped, like, a pretty, like, okay, here's a decent writer and we're going to put him on the character. And he'll do it. He'll fill in the blanks for us and it will end and it will be a complete lead into a next event. Um, and it's – but I'm just I, – I don't – like, I'm really – I'm really – wondering behind the scenes who was able to pitch the dc being like okay so it starts off and wally west is dr manhattan you know yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah no exactly i I think this is crazy i mean all i can say is that i'm gonna go in with an open mind and that yeah i hope it's good you know i i give it my full hope i can't give it my full confidence because it's just like this is a big risk but I, i think it definitely has potential to be cool i think you know if it's just for an event i think it could really work but I'm just worried because DC doesn't have the best track record with uh, taking care of, you know, their legacy characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited for it because yeah, it's going to be really out there. But I think my fear is it's like 
what other way can you kind of end a character like that? I feel like it's going to be like he's going to create the new timeline and then he's going to be like fade away, you know, and he's going to well, be like, and, and that's I the unfortunate, like, could, yeah, and... exactly. Like going to the speed force with his family or something like that. And it's kind of just like, uh, not where I saw yeah. the character going. I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I try not to have these preconceived notions in my head of like how things are going to go, because if you do that, you're always going to be disappointed because it's never going to go mm-hmm. the way you want it to go. But I don't know. I just think this is crazy. But all I could say is free comic book day can't come soon enough. You know, I just I, yeah. I want to read it. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm curious. It could be big for the character. But yeah, that's um pretty much the news of the week. I don't know. Hunter usually captures that kind of stuff. This was the big one that caught my eye. Um, but anyway, uh, we'll go on to the comics real quick and just kind of talk about some of the stuff we read this week as we're coming to the last few minutes of the podcast. Um, so. We got two big uh, Chip Zarsky comics this week. Uh, usually, Hunter and I do a uh, our cover of the week and our pick of the week. So, um, for example, my pick of the week will definitely be Daredevil because I really enjoyed this comic. I feel like it's, every time Daredevil comes out, it's my pick of the week. Uh, as for my cover of the week, I think I got to go Fantastic Four and X-Men number one because yeah, it's a really cool cover. I don't know who did the cover art, but um, oh, uh, Terry Dobson? Dodson? I think I, I think Terry did some of the work Tyler. for House of X. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Um, but, yeah, this this was a really really cool artwork, and it was just a really cool concept. Um, it, actually, we could even start with X Men Fantastic Four because the way that it started to me was so interesting. Uh, I don't know if do you read Chip Zarsky's new letter uh, newsletter? Um, I've read it a couple times. So in the recent one, he was talking about how this book was coming out this week. And he said that in 1987, and I even reference it in this book, that they had an X-Men and Fantastic Four miniseries. And he loved mm-hmm. it as a kid. So at the Marvel Summit they had not too long ago, he pitched it to Jonathan Hickman. Hey, I want to do an X-Men Fantastic Four crossover. And Hickman said, yeah. Marvel said, yeah. So it's happening. So I think that's just insanely cool. Like somebody who read something as a kid and is like, yeah, I want to do that. And now it's happening. Yeah. And I think it's it's really weird, though, because it's like, he he wasn't writing any X title. He wasn't writing the Fantastic Four title. He was writing like a completely different like area of characters and just jumped yeah, in you, and you, took you it would over. Think, like, and it's Spot would be doing it because he's doing Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. or Hickman would do it because he's doing X Men. But no, it's a guy who just jumps. You're right. It is seamless though because it connects to both titles. And I don't even read Fantastic Four, but they make reference. No, to I don't either. Earlier in the series, so and it fits in with everything that X Men's been doing. Yeah, and I mean like even just. Like how the characters were interacting, it would like um, Ben and uh, Franklin's interactions were just great, you know. Yeah. And like the way I like, I loved the way that he wrote Reed, and I loved just even the sense of how he really portrayed the like dynamics between the mutants and like Charles and Magneto versus like Sue and Reed was just so interesting, and it worked so well. And I'm like, I my fear with the X titles is like, I really hope that there's a like end goal, you know. Because I don't yeah. want this, like, I, I don't want it meandering along and, like, for it to lose quality because everything is so high quality right now. And yeah. I really hope it's building towards something. Yeah, and I, I think it is, ultimately. Uh, the, I mean, the good thing is about the Marvel comics, and I don't know if that comes down to, like, they have so many writer summits, but mm-hmm. the continuity just seems so strong. Like, yeah. He's able to reference things that happened in both X-Men and both and Fantastic Four, which I think is awesome because sometimes you're reading a Batman comic and you're like, is this set before Detective or after Detective? Is this set before yeah. Batman Superman or after Batman Superman? Is this set before Justice League or after Justice League? Especially the Year of the Villain stuff. I had no idea what was happening. So It, it appeared in, like I think, 
Batman was reacting to it in like three different titles. Yeah, so it was just like <laughs> it, it felt like there wasn't that great of continuity there. So it, it was very refreshing to see that in this issue. Um, this issue did a good job of like building the tensions between Franklin and his father. Um, essentially, Franklin is a mutant, and the mutants are all welcome to Krakoa. So there's the case to be made that yeah, Franklin belongs on Krakoa. And uh, obviously Sue and Reed are his parents and, you know, they think they know what's best for him and they don't want him to go to the island. And that causes tensions between Magneto, Charles and Sue and Reed. So it, it was interesting to see kind of like the adults fighting and then Kitty Pride and Franklin just be able to go outside and, you know, talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And they had some great and, interactions, I thought. Yeah. And I mean, it like, like, I think the best part about it is like you can see the case for both sides. Like, this isn't, like, like the Civil War comic where it was, like, okay, yeah, clearly, like, you are acting out of line. Like, here it's, like, I understand what Reed and Sue are so against because, I mean, it's, like, there's just been this major shift with the X titles in terms of, like, power in the the Marvel Universe. And it's, like, these, like, I think, I think if I was them, I would rightfully be scared of where, what the mutants were doing. Oh, you know, sure. and especially especially to then come and take their son who is super powerful and like it, like I don't know like I I understand what Reed was doing and I think it just made it so much better that I I think Chip in general can write really really well thought out flawed characters that you can even if you dislike or like they're the villain you can like reach an understanding with them one hundred percent and I thought it was so interesting to kind of plant the idea in Franklin and Ben's head that you know what if Mr. Fantastic isn't working at his best mm-hmm. to fix you because that gets rid of the need of you being a hero. You know, fixing you mm-hmm. would make you, you know, not fill your role. So I, I thought that was really good tension to be built up. And you could see Ben shift from being like so skeptical of that to getting in Reed's face, even in the end, and being like, you know, he's got to do his own thing. So it, it was definitely interesting, this issue. I think it set up a lot. And of course, uh, Doom showing up in the end is. Definitely unexpected to me, at least. I didn't read any solicitations, yeah, I, so I didn't know he was coming. <laughs> I scrolled down and I was like, whoa, yeah. that's new. Yeah, so that that was really cool. And now uh, the next one's coming February 26, 2020, which is uh, two weeks from now. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm very interested. This is going to be a sex issue miniseries, or is it going to be more? Do you know? I thought it was four. Four? Maybe, okay. Maybe just do we have it anywhere um i I don't i don't like usually like dc when they do a mini will print like one of four but i don't even see that mm -hmm. anywhere on here but i thought this was some kind of mini series but regardless uh, i'm very interested to see where this goes and i think this first issue was a great build up um yeah i just really enjoyed it nara was really good yeah i mean it it's it's chip what can you really expect you know yeah yeah i mean chip (laughs) i think has definitely made his way up in one of the finest newer comic book writers and i i i still find it so shocking that he's able to be such a comedian on twitter instagram yeah newsletter and then write some of the most like heartfelt serious dialogue like it's a very very big shift but it shows his range as a writer mm -hmm. and like segueing that like he had some great emotional moments in daredevil Today, uh, yeah, that, that came that. out. It was you know, you know, Hunter would be impressed with that segue because segue <laughs> is something we struggle with. But uh, yeah, d- this this week's Daredevil issue was pretty crazy in the sense that it they killed Hammerhead. Right? Yeah, so that, that that was really shocked me. And then in, you in, had you had um, Mindy's family being her da- her daughter being taken at the end, and Matt 
having to make decisions of whether to fight or flight. And I, I just thought it was so interesting that he hasn't been Daredevil in so long. And there's always like more reasons not to go back to Daredevil because originally when he stopped being Daredevil, I'm like, all right, we'll get three issues of him having a crisis and then he'll be back. And we're like, you know, 10 issues into this at this point, maybe more like yeah. 12, 13 issues into this crisis. I mean, that's, you know, a long time in comics. So it's been interesting to see Matt go through that and still not be Daredevil and still see more reasons. And we get to see him grow as a character, which I think some writers struggle to show growth in a character when they're already, you know, set as a hero. So this was good. Yeah, and I think it's really funny because, like, a common theme when looking at Daredevil writers is he, the, the character just attracts top-tier talent, you know? Like, each of his, like, um, Frank Miller, Brian Bendis, uh, Mark Wade, Charles Soule, I think I said his name right, and even now, like, on Chip, and it's, like, the character, there's so much that, like, could be going wrong with the character, but I, like, when I think back of, on different Daredevil stories, it's just, like, constant just this is like the best thing that's out right now, you know? Yeah. And it's like so, so, something Hunter and I have always said about daredevil is he's like the green lantern of Marvel in the sense that mm-hmm. he has so many consistently good runs in a row. And you know, it's tough to find like a bad daredevil comic. Like it's just mm-hmm. been for years and years, it's just been really good. And I mean, th- this run is keeping up with that. And I think, you know, if chip's able to keep this quality, I think he could honestly go down as one of the, best daredevil writers i mean he's only what 17 issues in and he's already you know made his name and that he really has a great understanding of matt and matt's supporting cast and even bringing in like a newer supporting cast like mindy and the crime mm-hmm. family i thought was very interesting and even the way he writes kingpin like i feel like he's building to oh my kingpin god story, I love but his kingpin. his kingpin is like you know kingpin's typically like a pretty confident villain in the way that like you know, he's the kingpin. He's the top. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no one better than him. And to sh- to see him almost like doubting himself during this arc just shows like the depth the character is able to go through and shows how much of a serious threat the crime bosses that he created pose. Mm-hmm. Like literally watching him get the shit beat out of him by the yeah. crime boss and watching like when um Matt visited him in the hospital or when he accidentally killed like another guy, you're like – like you you see the character trying and i think it is like in a sense a theme of um the book in general is just like addiction like even foggy said i think it was this issue or the last where he was matt's like i'm done being daredevil and he's just like yeah you say this all the time and you're never done being daredevil and it's the same for kingpin you know he's trying to go straight over and over and over and he's killing people or getting beat up and he's like i'm really interested because I think he's building, in a sense, kind of like what Tom King did with um, Bane and Batman, like a parallel. Um, I think I think he's doing that, and so I'm very excited to see. Because I don't know if you saw, but he released on Twitter like a Daredevil picture from like because apparently it's the comics one year anniversary, uh-huh. um, and so he's he posted a picture of like this Daredevil suit and was pretty much like year two is going to be crazier, and so I'm wow. excited because it's like we haven't even seen his actual like daredevil you know yeah it's we've seen like his this like broken guy the entire time and it's very drawn out but it's so believable yeah and and this is what i wanted from tom king's batman yeah batman story like this like this is if and and i know you you know obviously you're a big tom king fan and you're a big tom king batman fan but i wish it could have been more like this because he's really done a good job of like breaking down matt in the sense Mm -hmm. of like it, it feels believable i guess is the word 
Yeah, and, like, and it's just it's just really well done, and I, I love, like you said, it's a big parallel between him and Kingpin, and I and I think you're right. Addiction is such a big part of this run because we've seen various kinds of addiction where you know Matt had the sex addiction for a while yeah (laughs) what was he getting out of it and it's almost like an addiction to the city as well for both of them for Kingpin and for Daredevil they're like the kind of like the yin and yang for each other of like they both need to serve their purpose in Hell's Kitchen at all times yeah and it's um I I think one of like the uh, the best line was uh, Matt was jumping out of the window at the hospital and Kingpin was like, this 20 by four city like space is going to be the death of you. And it's like Hell's Kitchen is super small and it yeah. really like puts it in perspective is it's like this is just the, like this is like the equivalent of some guy putting on a shitty little costume and running around beating people up like in your little neighborhood, you know? Yeah. Like Matt is and it's funny because he keeps trying so hard and it's like you feel for him, but it's just like. I, I'm interested because he can't keep going on the way he is, and I'm very excited to see how Chip eventually writes that. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think the return to Daredevil, like actual Daredevil, is going to be so sweet because mm-hmm. it's been building and building. Like each issue, it feels like he gets like a few feet closer to being Daredevil again, and even the sense where sometimes he'll take like two steps forward and then immediately one back. You know, yeah. like and, and there, each... there's been a lot of. A uh, little like missteps for him, which and is each, real for the character. Yeah, yeah. And each um another thing that's like it, it, comparing it back to Tom King's Batman, each issue you finish and you feel like you read like something was completed. It yeah. was like an episode, you know. Like, yeah. th- like each little thing, character does X Y Z. You gain X Y Z. You come away reading the comic feeling completed, as opposed to something like City of Bane or War of Jokes and Riddles or Everybody Loves Ivy. And like you read that comic, and you're just like, I am very dissatisfied by how that ended. You yeah. know, it wasn't paced out well. And so yeah. that's what like, it's just. I mean, it's really. What more can you say about a series that's, I, I think, literally perfect and uses the comic medium so, so well? Yeah, and and something that's interesting about this is, you know, like, when City of Bane was coming out, I'm like, all right, we're on part seven. Like, it really feels like we're on part seven. Mm-hmm. In Daredevil, on the through hell arc, we're on part seven. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't even feel like I was keeping track of, like, you know, part of an arc. Like, when I just saw part seven now, I was like, holy crap, this was seven parts? Like, that's insane. Like, the, it just feels like it's been flowing so naturally. Mm-hmm. And each arc is, like, I, it seems like each arc is more just being called an arc so that it can be put in trade. Because it's, like, the story, it, it's one continuous story from one through 17. Yeah, you know, like you could probably collect when through hell ends, collect that whole thing, and it would read perfectly fine. Oh yeah, I definitely think so. Like I, I feel like I say this every time it comes out on the podcast, but if you're not reading this book, you really got to get into it. Yeah. I mean, read read the first 17 issues. I think you're going to be blown away by how good it is. Even if you've never really been into Daredevil before, I think it's such like a new reader friendly, and it's it's new reader friendly, but it also rewards older readers like through side characters. And I I just think it's been such a brilliantly written book, and I always call it the best ongoing comics, and some people correct me and say, oh, that's Immortal Hulk. To be fair, I don't read Immortal Hulk in single issue, so I don't know that, but, I mean, for me, Daredevil just blows everything else I read out of the water. Like, yeah. it, it's next level comics. Is it, um, is it shipping monthly? It is, but sometimes it goes, like, every three weeks, because I think it's selling really well. Uh, yeah. Because, like, we're on issue 17, it's been a year. If it was monthly, yeah. it 12 issues, so... I think occasionally they'll do like a little bit earlier because they've been changing up the art teams. But yeah, it feels like like the longest wait in between each issue, but it's well worth it when I get the issue. 
Yeah, I, I think, yeah, and I think, like, right now, Daredevil, X-Men, Spider- uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, like, there are just, Marvel is just killing it with top-tier comics week after week. Yeah, you know? it, it feels like Marvel doesn't need to do a quick reboot on all these, and, you know, I really hope they let Zarsky go for a while on Daredevil, and I, I would do anything for him to be on Nightwing or for him to be on Batman because he would do so much justice to both characters. But, um, you know, I just really hope they let him go a long time on Daredevil because he definitely has a big story, full story to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just on the DC side of things, uh, between Batman and Justice League, both newer creative teams, uh, I think Venditti did a good job in his first Justice League issue. I know you really liked it based on your post and based on what you said in the chat. Yeah, I... um. I felt like it, in a sense, it kind of, with Scott Snyder's Justice League, a lot of my issues stemmed from the fact that it was, like, characters responding to things instead of doing things. Um, And, like, the best issues in his run were when, like, characters were just able to talk. Uh, And I felt like his large ensemble kind of hurt the series, whereas, like, the five characters here feel like a team, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, like, like, um, I'm looking at it right now, and, like, uh, as soon as Batman... Like, uh, the guy started using his heat vision, like, Batman was yelling orders for Flash, and you already see, like, a conflict arise of, like, oh, Flash is hesitating a little, and that's, like, okay, that's gonna be where his character's gonna be going, and Superman says, you know, like, oh, I want people to view me as a man from Kansas instead of just an alien, and so it's, like, that's where his arc's gonna go, we see Batman dealing with Alfred, and it's, that's where he's gonna go, and so it feels like each character is given a direction, and each character is doing something and it's really really refreshing especially because it's like it's it's more of a serious book and i i think especially like putting that comparing like that issue to like anything with jaro is a very stark difference yeah and I, you know i think venditti is incredibly slept on mm-hmm. like i, I don't like yeah. the flash run but i think everything else he's done has been very consistently good but I think he's, like, the name that kind of just, like, escapes a lot of people because he's not, like, one of those big, you know, social media writers and he's not, you know, one of the big names. But he's, you know, been consistently putting out good stuff, so. Yeah, and he's a writer that I feel like, like, I I, I don't know how many writers that I'd be able to look at and be like, I would love, like, I wanted to just give you every team book because you're doing so great with it. Like, Hal, Hallam Hal's, it was, like, that was when it was coming out. Everybody was lauding it as like the best rebirth book, and I, I yeah. can completely agree with that because he just does so well with the scope of characters and how like the like interplay between different characters in a group. He just is like a master at that, and I'm happy that he's getting recognition with something like Justice League because I think he deserves it. Oh, for sure. And uh, as for Tinian's Batman, um, I enjoyed this issue. I'm you know just curious to see where the story goes. I think it's. An interesting story so far, and you know, I, it almost feels like they're stalling, but I yeah. think it's still putting out quality comics. But it, it does feel, in a sense, stalling. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's it's good. Like I think, um, best Batman facts said something about it. Of like, it seems like a lot of people are really like hyping it up so much because they really don't like the Tom King Batman run, you know? Yeah. And so they're like, look at how awesome it is, and like I think he's writing a really cool story, but it's also like. Eh, like I, I forgot it's, yeah, that like, it, came it's, out. it's yeah, it's something that like we've seen before. You know, it's like a typical yeah. kind of like assassin fighting Batman story. So it doesn't feel like it's like so like oh my god, I can't believe he did this like so out of the blue. But I think you're right. I think it is like Tom King effect of like people were worn down after City of Bane and all that, and they're like you know anything new with Batman is gonna be good to them. But you know it's 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 not bad. 
you know, it's it's no, I, I, I guess the job done. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a it's a fun Batman story. Like I, I, I kind of I'm getting a little like uh, in the issue. He had his little thing where he was able to like hijack a car and put a little thing on it. So it looks like the Batmobile. And it's like, you know what? That's yeah. goofy. But that's like it, it's fun. And it adds just a different layer to the story that I think also because I think it's very much like a return to form for the character, which I think isn't a bad thing because we've had four years of something that was purposefully not a traditional Batman story. And yeah. so it's nice that we're kind of, like you said, it feels like they're filling time just with like, here's regular Batman stuff. But I feel like also my issue with it is that it's kind of running alongside Tomasi's detective comics, which is yeah. doing a lot of the same like things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Tomasi's detective. I actually ended up dropping it. I mean, I was enjoying it for a little bit, but then it just kind I, of felt like in generic Batman comic every two weeks. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, but yeah, I'm excited to see where Tinian takes it, and I hope he can. My, I really want him to do like something crazy with the series because I just like, I, I feel like he's a good enough writer that deserves to have like a namestay type comic. Yeah, um, and I feel like with Tom King, you know, he has like Mister Miracle. That's what he's associated with. But with Tinian, it doesn't really feel like he has that. Like he's just, he's consistently a good writer, but not he doesn't have like a comic that is like when you hear his name you think of that comic you know yeah yeah i think justice league dark has potential to be that even though it's not as wide known but yeah mm-hmm. I, I definitely agree with that statement so you know we'll, we'll have to see where it goes but i think he's off to a decent start so far with batman it's at least consistent so uh yeah that's that's pretty much the comics of the week and that's pretty much the episode uh, yeah <laughs> it actually went a little bit longer than i was expecting but that's okay it was a good uh, conversation about comics uh, I want to thank Caleb, Comic Savior. Go, go give him a follow on Instagram because he runs a great account and posts a lot of his uh, comic book content, a lot of stuff I like, a lot of uh, legacy stuff. And he's one of the few people that recognizes how good Impulse and uh, Tim's run are. <laughs> so it's it's nice to have a fellow legacy fan. So definitely give him a follow. And, uh, yeah, just thank you so much for uh, appearing on the show. You know, I hope you can do it again next week. That will be great. Oh, and, yeah, I'd uh, love to. <laughs> this <Yeah>. is awesome. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's good to, to uh, just bullshit about comics. So uh, if, anyway, if you're listening, uh, we appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. It does help with the rankings. And uh, if not, just follow, subscribe, whatever you do. I appreciate to listen. Uh, for Hero Story, I'm JD. I'm Caleb. And uh, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take Hunter's line because he's not here and he can't yell at me for taking it. Uh, thanks for being a hero. And remember, every second is a gift. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. <laughs>